You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 483 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Gemma Israf. Hey, Gemma, we have something to celebrate. Yes, we do. Okay, so I want to hear all about you becoming a Ruby core member because that was just like extremely exciting news. And I'd love to hear about how it happened and what it means for you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm honored to have been nominated and to become one. The biggest thing it means is is once you become a core committer, you have a commit bit so you can approve and merge pull requests. So it unblocks me quite a bit in terms of working on Yarp as it relates to CRuby because I can do my work. And Kevin, who's also became a committer who we had on the podcast just last time, can review it and approve it and I can do vice versa for him. So it really allows us to work a lot more unblocked, which is, I think, the coolest part about it. That's awesome. Do you get any sort of access other than being able to review merge? Like, do you have access to any discussion boards that the general public does not? Yeah. So there's a Ruby Lang Slack where all of the Ruby core committers talk. There's a lot of Japanese going on in there, so I can't say I can follow all of it, but little discussions like that. And with access to that Slack, it is a little easier to have one-on-one communication or conversations with other Ruby core committers. So about PRs or about work. I think the thing for me is it just creates a little less friction in terms of doing the actual work that I'm doing, which is great. And my understanding is you needed to have somebody from the core team nominate you. Is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. And so I'm really lucky that at Shopify and actually on my team, there are a bunch of other Ruby core committers, I think maybe six or seven. So Coco Bun, who's one of the Ruby core committers, has been a long time one, nominated Kevin and me. And then from there, we got approval and could do it, which was great. I'm just like picturing your work career plan. And it's just like one of your check boxes is become a Ruby core better. Like, I mean, what a major milestone, Gemma. At this point, you've had just such an amazing journey in Ruby. Like how long have you been writing it now? Because I feel like you hit so many milestones away fairly quickly. And just, it's really cool to watch your career. Thanks. Yeah, for me, I think the big thing is just that it enables me to do a little more, which is really more exciting to me than I think the like checkbox done it. I think especially the process is a little opaque and it's a little unclear like when you get it and when you earn it and when all of that happens. And so I think given that it was much more exciting for me to feel like I had been at that level already than to actually get the recognition, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. So how is Yarp going? Yarp's good. Kevin actually just released it as a gem today, which is, we keep doing these on big news days for Yarp. (laughs) That's exciting. Plan the Yarp calendar around the podcast schedule. Honestly. Um, Yeah. So it released as a gem. I'm pretty heads down working on the compiler side. So compiling the Yarp's AST, it's abstract syntax tree into instruction sequences, which requires the CRuby commit bit. So that's been pretty fun for me. Awesome. And how are you? What's going on in your work life? I had a couple more engineers join my team. So I'm currently now managing 10 engineers at Shogun. And so that's a split between the back end and the front end team. I have still not written a single line of code at Shogun. I've looked at some, but still very much heads down in becoming a better engineering manager. And I feel like I'm really lucky. I have a boss who really wants to help me get to the next level. He's been recommending a lot of resources. 
It's been a really good sounding board just around the decisions that I'm trying to make. I'm currently working on my own personal growth plan. Have you had to do that before, Gemma? Work on a personal growth plan? Yeah, uh-huh. I have. With clear kind of objectives or where you want to grow and how you're going to get there. This is fairly new for me. I was coming from a nonprofit where that wasn't really a thing. There was only like three of us on the team. We had like a spreadsheet type thing at Textus, but at Shogun, there's very much like an entire process. There's like this e-learning course that you go through. We have certain times during the year that we do reviews. And it's really hard sometimes to be very introspective about like what you're doing well and what you need to work on. What have you come up with so far? I'm definitely one of those people who is always focusing on what I need to work on. But I will highlight one thing that I do well, and I feel like this has become my reputation. Anytime I join a new company, the first team that I get the closest with is always the support team. I think because I started as a rail support engineer when I learned how to code and like started in support, I have a lot of empathy for that role. I believe that you can get a lot of really good insights as to how the company is doing based on how well they treat the support team and how Mm. well heard the support team is. So I got nominated for like an award because of like my work with the support team in the first couple of months already, which felt good because I love people in support. They do a lot of really hard work. But the things that I need to work on for sure is delegating. I love to do things myself. I like to do things in a very particular way. And I'm trying to empower the people that I work with to do things on their own. Well, I'm curious, what's something that you would want to work on? I think the first question you were going to ask is if I've ever had to do that kind of thing. And I think it was something that Emily and I thought and talked a lot about with WNB in terms of delegating work. And I think when you delegate, there are two things that happen. One, you have to let go because it's just almost by definition not going to be done exactly the way you envisioned it. But I think what we learned pretty quickly with WMB is that leaves room for it to be done so much better, so much more creatively or in a way that just simply wasn't within our skill set or what we would have thought of. And so I think with the letting go that we've learned through delegation, more rewarding than I would have imagined. Just in terms of what folks can do and what they come up with in the way even something like Outsourcing Book Club and the way you all now are coming up with options of books that we didn't even think of or didn't really think through and ways to frame the discussions that we certainly couldn't have done on our own and things like that, that I think has felt really rewarding. I think with the one lesson that I've learned lately, do you ever just hear a lesson and you just like your mind kind of explodes and you're like, of course, that's true. But like, why did I never consider it? I think the big managerial lesson that I've learned lately, it's not about delegating the work. It's about delegating the work and also as part of that work, delegating the reporting that that work is done. And so I might go to an engineer and say, hey, we have a really large deal that we want to work on this customer. There's this one critical bug that we have. I need you to work on this bug. And instead of me just sitting in the middle between the person who's trying to sell this deal and the person writing the code and trying to like be the communicator between... I need to learn how to empower my engineers to like communicate their process because they could fix it on a Wednesday. But if I don't know, or the person who needs to know doesn't know on a Friday, is the work actually done? No. And it's also to the point you were making earlier, it allows them to foster a relationship with the salesperson or someone there and allows them to grow in their capacity and what they're able to do and how they think about effectively communicating and things like that, which I think is also powerful. This episode is brought to you by Honey Badger. Monitoring, like web development, can be complicated. 
There are tons of tools and techniques, but you just want to know that your app is up and running and that your customers are happy. When your customers encounter a problem, you need clear, actionable intelligence, not walls of charts and reams of logs to tail. That's why we built HoneyBadger, the monitoring tool we have always wanted. A tool that's where you need it, when you need it, and it gets out of your way when you don't, so you can keep shipping. With HoneyBadger, you can know when critical errors occur and which customers are affected. You can respond instantly when your systems go down. You can improve the health of your systems over time. And of course, fix problems before your customers can report them. HoneyBadger is the application health monitoring tool built for you, the developer who cares about a quality product and happy customers. Start monitoring today at HoneyBadger.io. HoneyBadger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Once again, that is HoneyBadger.io. Link is in the show notes. It's interesting. I have an engineer who wants to become a manager and he was asking me for feedback. And these are the kind of conversations I absolutely love having. And I told him that he is very technically proficient. He really is. He's one of our most proficient developers that's on my team. However, whenever he's talking to non-technical stakeholders, he speaks in very technical terms. You can watch those non-technical stakeholders just basically like they glaze over. So they want to know if a project's going to ship on time and they're looking for a yes or no. They're not necessarily looking for the very technical reason why it's a yes or no. And so we kind of talked about that and how sometimes engineers tend to be really technical when they're talking to everyone just because sometimes it's a little bit of imposter syndrome. You feel like if you give as much detail as possible, then it sounds like you know what you're doing. And then sometimes it's just not having the time or skills because really it's a translation process where you're taking something that's very deeply technical and trying to explain it to someone. It's just like trying to explain to your mom what AI is or what ChatGPT is. It's like that is a skill in itself and it should be valued more. Yeah, so the thing of answering a question catered to who was asking it as opposed to answering a question blanket the exact same way, regardless of who's asking it. Agreed. I think there's levels to it too. So, I mean, a lot of times we have mixed audiences. We have peers that are in a conversation. They might be very technical and we might have people that are not technical. So like maybe a designer or a product manager who's not technical. And so I think you want to identify the audience there and you want to aim for that level in terms of being technical. So you start non-technical and then you leave enough space there for the technical people to ask questions and then be able to dig into it more. Or you just agree that you're going to take those questions offline and provide the documentation that those technical people need. I'm not a fan of the engineers who try to ask technical questions just to try to trip you up. In my experience, those are few and far between. They're definitely out there. But sometimes I feel like engineers almost assume that somebody is going to be that, you know, I'm actually person in the crowd, or this is not a question, but a statement person in the crowd. I don't think that there's a lot of those people still out there, but I want to encourage folks to not think that they have to immediately go deeply technical just in the fear that they're going to get called out. So how did you encourage the engineer who came to you for feedback to practice that skill? Yeah. So what I said was, I want you to start off every sentence where you're answering the question in a non-technical format. So like, is this going to ship on Wednesday? Yes or no. And then just pause and see if that was enough for what they wanted. And if it's not, give them space to ask questions as to why or why not. 
And then just try to keep, it's almost like that DevOps principle, least privilege. So like how much information can you get away with until you have to like really, really dig into it and get very, very technical. So yeah, what's the minimum viable answer? The MBA, we'll go with Gemma. What is the minimal viable answer that you can get away with so that everyone's satisfied by the answer? Yeah, that's really interesting. It recalls a episode of a TV show I watched long ago where it was like, oh, do you know what time it is? And the person answered with the time. And it's like, no, that wasn't the question I asked. I asked if you know, I didn't ask what the time was. <laughs> I, I think it's similar though, where I think as engineers, sometimes we answer not the question that was asked. Yeah, especially if we think that someone is asking a leading question where it's like, we've made a mistake. We don't think anybody knows about it. And then someone asks us a question, I'm guilty of this where I think it's a leading question where they're going to be like, ta-da, I know that you made a mistake and I was just leading you to that. Usually most questions are simply innocent. And so you see people just like try to attempt to cover up a mistake or cover up an, a perceived inefficiency that they have. And they'll just immediately get very, very technical. And it's just like, it's, a lot of times it's just overkill. Yeah, I think an another solution to that is to just create a space where it's comfortable to be like, hey, this is the mistake I made. I'm going to put that out up front, any questions. And then it doesn't feel like any of the questions are trying to catch you out on that mistake. Mm -hmm. I think another big thing here is the ability to say, I don't know, which it seems to me more and more people struggle with these days. I think, yeah, like blabbing on is often to your point when you don't know and you can't say, I don't know. And so you just say stuff that's not helpful. I saw a funny post the other day where someone said that they had posted a Stack Overflow question and nobody answered it. But then they logged into another Stack Overflow account and answered it completely wrong. And people just got so involved because they just were so excited to correct somebody. And so like it was different when it was just a wide open question, but the ability to one up somebody for some reason was just very compelling, which is a bummer, but unfortunately is the nature of the beast. Yeah, I don't know the specific example you're pointing to, but another scenario I could imagine is it's easier to respond once something's there to correct, right? So mm -hmm. if you yourself didn't know the full answer, but you can correct someone else's be like, hey, I know this part is wrong. You don't need to know the full answer to be able to, to say that. It's true. I mean, a lot of people are natural editors. They're not writers. I think yeah. to be a writer and like, Honestly, what you're doing, Gemma, where you're creating brand new features is just a very impressive skill. I have engineers that are fixers. They don't like to write new features. They like to go in and they like to edit and they like to edit documentation, but they don't like to write brand new documentation. This episode is brought to you by FastRuby. Is your Rails version lagging behind, but the budget just isn't there for an upgrade? Try Bonsai by FastRuby.io. Whether your application is stuck in Rails 2.3 or you're ready to leap to 7.0, they have seen it all. With over 20,000 hours invested in upgrading applications, they've mastered the art of Rails upgrades. Start chipping away at $2,000 per month with Bonsai, a fixed-cost monthly maintenance service by FastRuby.io. Contact experts at FastRuby.io today. Thank you to FastRuby for supporting the show. Yeah, I've been thinking about this as it relates to AI and AI as a tool, the, this concept that editing is significantly easier. Something I've been experimenting with a little is getting AI to getting ChatGPT or something like that to generate a first draft so that my task is only editing. And I find that is actually like a really has been for me a really helpful way to use 
tools like ChatGPT so far. Have you ever found yourself just erasing the whole thing, but it got you going? So like you feel like you were unblocked because that's definitely happened for me. (laughs) I haven't yet erased the whole thing, but I could see it happening potentially. I will do ridiculous things like birthday messages, birthday texts, just things that I feel like I've been very stale on. I use it for work and whatnot, but in terms of personal stuff, I had to post a message the other day to my roller derby league, just reminding them that, hey, what you do on social media matters. Everything that you do like reflects back on the league. And I was like, how do I say this? I don't even know. And so like I went to chat GPT and asked and it ended up creating like a really cheesy post. But you know what? I was fine with it. I was like, Mm -hmm. this probably saved me like 20 minutes of like obsessing over every word. Yeah, editing is easier. I want to go back to what you were saying earlier about support team being like a kind of a microcosm for company feedback. Is it because they interact so much with the customers? Yeah, that's such a good question because I'm coming off of a SaaS platform that was like contract based. You literally could not log into my last app without it being provisioned by the support team. So like now I'm on an application where anybody can sign up, put your credit card in and you can just go. So I'm used to being in an environment where it's very heavy handed and there are personal relationships with the sales team and our customers. Now I'm in an environment where anybody can come through and really the only one-on-one time that we get with these customers is through support. Though funny enough, Gemma, I just agreed to be part of this program that we're doing at Shogun. We're trying to interview like 100 of our advanced customers about the features that they want to use. And so they've put us into a round robin. I think I have eight customer calls next week. And I haven't been in a customer call in so long. I've kind of nervous about it, but in some ways it's going to be kind of awesome. Is it scripted? It's a little bit. There's a form that we're looking at and we're filling it out. I'm a little terrified about being put on the spot for technical support, but I think there's also a space to say, hey, and that's weird for me, you know, as someone who's very used to being able to do technical support. Hey, I'm an engineering manager. I've only been here three months. I probably can't help you on this technical support, but let me tell you how to get help is going to have to be something that I'm going to need to write down. Yeah, it seems like definitely a good challenge for a delegation and maybe not even qualifying that delegation, just being like, I'm going to delegate this to someone else. You're right. That's going to help me with my goal. (laughs) Yeah. So it all comes back to delegation. Yeah, I don't think you have to justify it. I think it's fine to say, I don't know. Someone who does, we'll get back to you. It all comes back, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it is absolutely okay to get on a call with a customer not know absolutely everything, but just be there to listen. And in some ways, I think you can agree with this, Gemma. I think for as many people out there that love to correct things, there's a lot of people that just want to be listened to. It's not even that they're looking for you to fix anything. They just want you to listen to their struggles, their successes. They just want to be listened to. Oh, yeah, completely. I mean, I think some apps for which I'm a power user, sometimes I'm like, I hope someone on product is watching my feed click going on right now <laughs> and see this. Yeah. And I think just being able to talk, I think for most of those products, if I could talk to someone, I wouldn't be like, why does this work the way it does? I would just be like, this is frustrating for this reason, or this is awesome for this reason. What is one app that you would definitely say you are a power user? Like you notice when they roll out new features, you are very dependent on. Yeah, one that's, it's only a few months old for me, but I've written them feedback emails so far, which is new to me, is this app called FitBod, which is AI-based 
physical training, like weight training and stuff like that. So it generates workouts for you based on what you've done. It just builds on itself. So both in terms of load and in terms of like which exercises and obviously it tracks what's recovered, what's not recovered, things like that. I think it's a great app. I would highly recommend using it if anyone is listening. I think I can give you like a few free things, but it's maybe like $60 a year or something like that. So I think for a fitness app, pretty good. But anytime they roll out features, I notice. And I've, yeah, I've sent emails to the feedback team being like, here are some things that I think would really make it better. One or two of them, they were like, this is in the pipeline already. And one or two of them, they were like, this, we hadn't thought of a great point. That is awesome. I love that. I love interacting with a company that is like brand new and like eager for feedback. It's such a good feeling, especially when you're like one of the early adopters. First of all, it makes me feel very cool when I'm an early adopter, especially if I like the MVP product. But yeah, you know how much I love fitness. So I'm especially thrilled that you found a fitness app that you love. Yeah, it's fun. It's a good one. Are there any for you that are like that? Yeah, it's probably Peloton. I absolutely yeah. love Peloton. I am completely bought in. I have the hardware. It was wonderful for me whenever my ankle was broken. I had like a ton of stuff to do. And then I also wear a fitness tracker. I think I've mentioned it before called Whoop. It tells me like my recovery. It tells me what I'm capable of. And I am thoroughly addicted to it. So when they roll out new stuff, I get very excited. And then when they have beta programs, I sign up and it's it feels good, right? And like you want to make things that people feel just as excited about. Yeah, I think to the point about your customer calls next week, I would imagine if there are 100 advanced users or power users, I forget mm-hmm. the framing you said, they would be just really excited to talk to someone at Shogun and be able to share their experience using the app. Totally agreed. Well, Gemma, thank you so much for asking me all about what's going on at work. I super appreciate having another ear and just another reminder that I need to delegate, delegate, delegate. And congratulations again for making it onto the Ruby Core team. Yeah, thank you again for having me on. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.